You're listening to a podcast from the BMJ. Welcome to the BMJ podcast. In this Easter edition, we'll be finding out how control of diabetes could be improved using an artificial pancreas. If, if we could reproduce the, the um, observation we have in the clinical research facility at home, uh, then all the current evidence suggests that we can achieve tremendous improvements in glucose control. But before that... The raft of available genetic testing kits is growing and there's been a proliferation of them available to consumers over the internet. The quality of these tests are variable, as we've heard on the podcast before. So how do we start to control this growing market? One way is suggested in an editorial published this week on bmj.com. The author is Dr. Christine Hauskiller from the ESRC Centre for Genomics and Society at the University of Exeter, and she joins me in the studio now to discuss her work. Christine, can you just set out the problem with these tests for us? First, this is important. It is really about direct-to-consumer genetic testing, genetic tests that are advertised on the internet and sold via the internet or online. There are very different kinds of tests that are sold in this market. For medical purposes, ethnicity tests, paternity tests are now being sold in boots. So the way in which genetic testing has become something that is easily accessible in many different ways of information that people may want to derive from it is is an amazing story of the last 10 years. Very unexpected, I think, for everybody who was in this field from the science side and the medical side 15, 20 years ago. Mm. So what has happened is really that a sort of information that was always deemed expert has become freely accessible, more or less. And the quality in which it is provided is is very unregulated, and that is a large part of the problem. Patients come to the GP being terribly worried mm-hmm. about an elevated risk for coronary heart disease or for diabetes or that the test states they might want to check whether there is Huntington's disease in their family. And that is why these frameworks and regulations are being discussed. Sure. So you're saying that these tests are not necessarily of particularly good diagnostic value for patients? Oh, some of them are. In particular, one study that looks at the effects of BRCA testing, clinicians, physicians have been saying that in those cases where patients came with tests on these cancer variations, they found the patients having had the private test quite helpful because it alerted them to something they hadn't hadn't suspected. In your editorial, you say that you don't think regulation is the right way to go and possibly isn't even feasible. Why is that? There is no way you can enforce a regulation that concerns products sold over the internet, which people can just access. Mm, It would require a massive international regulatory framework. Well, it would need a police that would police it. You can have a law that prohibits something if there's no institution that can actually insist on the enforcement of that law. It is paper. So you think that having someone like the ISO get involved in this could help consumers when they're entering this market that's, you know, this big, sprawling, slightly murky market? I think certificates would help. A simple means of knowing that if you buy a product that has a certificate of of an internationally accepted kind, which allows the consumer, but also, of course, the GP they might be seeing, to assess whether the test they have been taking was 
deemed a meaningful test in scientific terms. I mean, one big problem in these discussions is how are people informed about the risk information? Because the data they are given in the end only tell them about increased or elevated or lower than average risk for this, that or the other. Mm -hmm. How do they make sense of this information? That is a general problem today in medical practice. But here, because there is not even necessarily an expert present, it is even more of a problem. Sure. So it's a combination there of scientific validity from the actual data that's being produced and the patient's interpretation of that data once it's been presented to them. And you would perhaps rate a company on or a particular test on, on the full gamut of that. Well, there are other issues as well, such as the consent to the test. Another criterion that I find very important, apart from the validity, the counselling and the risk, is what happens with these databases in these companies? Do they keep samples? Do they only keep data? Who makes sure that data that are no longer used, that patients want to have destroyed, are destroyed? Mm. You, you see, there are se several layers of problems that are untackled with the current structures. Absolutely. Is there any move towards creating any sort of standard at the moment, or is this all a hypothetical? I'm not aware that there is such a move towards such a consumer or company procedural standard as an institution such as the International Standards Organization could help with developing because they are just extremely experienced in developing standards of that kind. I think at the moment it is still on the level of national governance and different national, different ethical frameworks that are internationally debated. But there is, as I said earlier, that if you don't have anything that enforces any such frameworks or standards, it is very difficult to make people comply to them. Christine Hauskiller on regulating genetic tests. The editorial Christine has written for the BMJ is now available online on bmj.com. Now, with all the chocolate going around over Easter, diabetics may feel like they get a hard time. But the future may be more rosy. Published in the BMJ is a research article looking at the initial evaluation of an artificial pancreas which could be used to better control glucose levels. Roman Havolka, a principal research associate at the Institute of Metabolic Science at the University of Cambridge, joined us on the phone to describe his new intelligent system for insulin delivery. You were looking at this closed-loop insulin delivery system, or artificial pancreas as it's been called sometimes. Could you just describe for our listeners what actually this is? What's the, the piece of technology? Artificial pancreas has been um, under development for nearly 20, 30 years, and there was a really huge enthusiasm in the 70s. But at that time, uh, the technology was not advanced enough to be able to um, commercialize a, a system which could be worn by the patient. It consists of three components. The first component, the glucose sensor, is um, is a small probe uh, which is inserted on into the skin to measure glucose continuously in the interstitial fluid. It sends the information to the computer program, which is intelligent enough to know how much insulin it should be delivered uh, for a particle person, and then the insulin is delivered by the insulin pump. Now you've decided to look at this and measure how effective this artificial pancreas is. Um, how did you set about doing that? Our aim was to move as quickly to a possible product 
and as a, as a first stage we wanted to do is to have enough information to move to home studies. So we performed two studies, um, one which we called the eating in scenarios, mimicking people staying at home, and the second is uh, people going out, having fun in the in the evening. Uh, this is eating out scenarios, and then seeing how the closed loop can work overnight. You were looking at what levels of glucose in the blood um, as your measure? We used the glucose sensor to inform the control algorithm, uh, but we measured also plasma glucose um, independently, and this was this was used to assess the quality of control. And you were testing this against uh, an insulin pump, which just delivers a, a constant supply of insulin. Yes, we 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 compared the conventional uh, insulin pump therapy against the closed loop. When you did compare the two, what did you find? We found that the closed loop um, can improve or can increase the time uh, plasma glucose is in the target glucose range between 3.9 and 8 millimoles uh, during the night. We also found that um, we can reduce glu- or we can eliminate glucose values after midnight below 3.0. These are the low glucose values, hypoglycemia. And when we combine the data from the two studies, we've seen um, an overall improvement in, in glucose control indices, reduction in, in, in time above target, reduction in time below target. This was achieved, uh, giving the same amount of insulin. So we didn't need to use more insulin or less. It was um, overall the same amount. It was, it was just given at the right time. And when you're doing this kind of study, this is uh, this is obviously the initial phase of it, and you only had 24 patients um, going with it. Are you planning to do further studies with with a larger group? Um, yes, um, these 24 adult subjects were studied in the second or third way. We already studied 17 children. We also studied 10 pregnant women. So we have now about overall um, about. 70 to 80 studies overnight uh, with closed loop. And it's a stepping stone to moving to the home studies, which are for us the, the, the most important uh, next goal to perform with the closed loop. Would this potentially have an effect on the long-term outcomes of diabetes if we can get better glucose uh, control? Yeah, if, if we could reproduce the, the um, observation we have in the clinical research facility at home, uh, then all the current evidence suggests that we can achieve tremendous improvements in glucose control. Uh, we can um, uh, increase the awareness of people of hypoglycemia. They could return the hypoglycemia uh, awareness sim- symptoms. We can reduce the complications. So the potential of closed-loop treatment for improving health outcome in this group of patients is, 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 is considerable. I mean, insulin is one drug, but lots of people have chronic conditions which are constantly managed by drugs, but in the same way as insulin, that that control isn't always particularly fine. Is this something that your system could be adapted for? That's a very interesting um, area to explore, and indeed there are um, there are few or none systems which would continuously deliver drug tailored to achieve certain um, levels. It might be possible that similar system would be suitable for other drugs and, and, and conditions. So we might be setting um, a foundation stones for um, other technology to follow.
I just would like to say that we are currently at this stage where our study is a stepping stone. Although we've shown a proof of concept, we still need to do home studies and follow-up studies to sh- demonstrate the, the use of the technology in, in home settings. And that research paper is now available online on bmj.com. That's all for this week. We'll be back next week with a look at rising food prices, how they're pushing vulnerable people into poverty, and what can be done to control them. Join us then. For more information about this programme and other BMJ Group podcasts, please visit bmj.com.